Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I am your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. That's it, Big Ten. Team me up. I'm ready to stare down any committee member who doesn't think Nebraska ball is NCAA worthy. <laughs> I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to remind any of our RedCast listeners listening outside of the uh, state of Nebraska or Colorado that this would officially make that a Tier 1 podcast for you. Or... <laughs> we are going to talk a lot about quadrants and groups and uh, all the things. Honky just loves all of these metrics and, <laughs> and stats. He's always been a numbers guy. Oh, yeah. Got a w- yeah. warm, cuddly feeling from it all. It's like a, a blanket on me. Honky be the most hilarious uh, NCAA selection committee member. He'd be like, I don't know. Show me those team sheets. I know what I know. It'll be a cold day in Texas before I recognize Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) I see what I see, and I see a good basketball team out there. Uh, That's great, Matt, but we're just ordering lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Well, we don't have Mac tonight. Uh, He's... uh, Taking the, the podcast off to you know, study up on the, the bracket matrix. But uh, Nebraska basketball fans are staring at things they haven't really looked at that closely that often because Huskers are very much still in the bubble. And by most experts, quote-unquote, at least to Honky's opinion, uh, we are on the wrong side of the bubble right now, even after Nebraska took down Penn State on Sunday night and looking uh, good doing it. Uh, guys, let's start a little bit with that game. Um, it was build a no-sit Sunday, I think, of some sort. And uh, I don't know, we, we handled them well enough. I'm sure people actually sat. So um, what do you guys think of the uh, Penn State victory? I would say from being in the uh, the audience, I thought it was probably the third best home game that that I've been at, for, for uh, uh, including no-sit Sunday. And then, technically, I guess I should I should preface I wasn't at the Kansas game this year, but the guys I was talking with where I was sitting, they said that game was right behind Kansas and no sit Sunday, and then and then Penn State. The environment was electric, and this team came out from just the first minute. I mean that that dunk that Copeland had set the stage, and Penn State was never in this thing. And that's I thought that was really impressive when this team needed to step up and and just dominate. They did against a team that Joe Lenardi had in the first four out. Right. Boomer, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of positives to that game. It's been the first time in a long while we've come out and actually looked good to start a game. I mean, most mm-hmm. last few, I don't, I don't know how many games it's been, we come out and we just kind of sluggish and let teams into games that we really probably shouldn't. You know, the Illinois, the Indianas, you know, games like that where you just kind of let them hung around and let those games be closer than they should. You know, this one they came out, that first half looked great. Uh, it was nice to see basically everybody contributing. It wasn't, you know, we weren't depending on just any one guy. You know, there were players left and right, you know, scoring buckets. You know, Jordy even had a nice-looking first half to start, you know, scored some buckets, had a chance for more if it just doesn't get stuck in the rim and things like that. You know, there was, a, <laughs> there was even an opportunity to really blow this game open. They could have, you know, pummeled these guys by 20-plus points, really. Just a few more things go their way, and they tighten up some of the turnovers in the second half. They kind of got a little bit sloppy, and, you know, Carr with Penn State just finally kind of started shooting in that second half and probably made it closer than than it really was. But, you know, they did what they had to do. They had to go out and win a game and win it convincingly. 
So that was definitely a plus. Honky, you want to add something there? Well, I who's the guy that Penn State had injured? Was it Watkins? Is that his name? Watkins, correct. Yeah. And I think that what I liked about it was that him being out. It, it's not that it benefited us to win it. What it forced us to do, though, I think, and I think it did, was it it forced us to play the type of game that we should play. Without him being in there, we attacked the rim. We didn't sit there and try to shoot 15 threes in the first half. And, and if my numbers are right, I think we shot three in the first half. It was either three or four. Um, yep. For what it's worth, conversely, uh, they were at one point, uh, Penn State was nine nine and a half percent from the three-point line so that was good that's helpful Um, we'd like to see more of that yep so but uh good win i mean definitely a good win it got us into andy katz's uh power 36 that he just posted this morning and and speaking of this morning tom Izzo on his what's that go ahead and finish up what you're saying yeah tom Izzo this morning on his uh on his press conference he uh, he gave the thumbs up and said Nebraska is definitely an NCAA tournament team. So he's giving a little bit of Big Ten love because I think the Big Ten's with the numbers, with the uh, the metrics. The Big Ten is certainly under attack right now, and and uh, you know I I think we'll get into some further discussion here where I think I you know we can help support the Big Ten or I can help support the Big Ten a little bit at least against its uh, fellow Power Five brethren. Uh, I just wanted to ask, where can people find uh, Andy Katz's article? Is that on NCA.com, or is that on? We re, uh, we tweeted something out of it um, on Monday morning. He actually retweeted us. Andy Katz did, which thank yep. you, Andy. Um, but I I know he's listening. So yes, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> NCA.com or whatever. I'm... I think it's NCA.com. I, I think he writes for that, and he obviously is on the uh, BTN network. So it's mm-hmm. great that he's. He's covering the the Big Ten closer than he probably has in the past. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, uh, I think that's uh, a good good quick summary of the situation where Nebraska faces, where uh, we we are now twenty two and nine, thirteen and five in conference, which thirteen wins is a record for Nebraska. Now that's obviously more conference games than we have played in the past. When we were in the Big Eight, we would only have fourteen. So. It's not our highest win percentage uh, by any means, but 13 wins in conference is normally something that would get you in the the tournament. Uh, But if you do start looking at the team sheets, right, the NCA, and I was referencing Andy Cass, he actually writes on NCA.com, and and he kind of had an article earlier this uh, season which broke down the whole quadrant approach, how the team sheets are actually broken down. And when I say a team sheet, that's essentially every – uh, school that plays Division One basketball, 351 schools, gets a team sheet that the committee could look at that breaks down their entire season on one page. It's like a cheat sheet, essentially. And um, this year, for the first time, instead of using just straight RPI and grouping them into top 50, top 51 to 100, 100 to 200, and 200 plus uh, groups, it's using this quad system uh, that we've mentioned before, which uh, weighs uh, away in neutral games over home. And uh, it's a good good article. You can better understand how the team sheets are used by the committee and anybody else who wants to do be a bracketologist, I guess. Um, but it's where many of the frustrations are starting to come at. So, Honky, why don't you uh, maybe express some of your, um, uh, I don't know, disgruntledness with uh, the, the, the system that's out there right now or... Or where you think maybe some of the uh, – why it's bogus in some ways? I think uh, 
it all started for me on Saturday night watching a little bit of ESPN. They had Joe Lunardi up there, and he had uh, his his breakdown, and there was eight SEC teams listed, and there's four Big Ten. And, and that right there got me started. It doesn't take much to get me started when anything SEC-related, right? <laughs> this, this dates back to and football. Bush, but if you listen, hockey, before you get too much further in there, uh, Boomer, could you do some quick research on that and see, like, in the past few years, has the SEC – had a year where they only got maybe four or five teams in. Well, even last year, they only got five. They only had five in last year. I bet they only got four in at least once, too. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Continue. Um, But uh, so Lenardi, he had in his first four out was uh, Penn State. And that's that's fine. I Whatever. And what I think starts to get people a little bit, whether it's confused or frustrated, is that we certainly, Nebraska certainly doesn't, meet the criteria by a lot of these bracketologists for being a, a quad one kind of team that can get into the uh, NCAA tournament, yet we were a quad one win if Penn State beat us. If we beat Penn State, a team that's in its first four out, they were a quad three win for us. We were a quad one win for Kansas when they beat us. Um, when I look at the, the – you mentioned it earlier, earlier, Dave. There's 61 Big Ten teams that have won 13 or more conference games ever. There's a 100% turnaround. All 61 of those teams got into the NCAA tournament. There's 306 teams from the Power 5 conferences that have won 13 or more uh, games in conference. 304 of them. 304 of the 306 have made it. So the two being the the Oregon and the Washington, and I've seen people say, well, Nebraska's resumes are closer to those two. My goodness, at the end of the day, if Nebraska doesn't get in, I'm going to sound like Bernie Sanders for a second, one-third <laughs> of 1% is what Nebraska is if we don't get there this year. <laughs> one third of one percent. Uh, I'm telling you. Well, I, I guess the the question there is the causation, uh, right? Or is it just corollary effects, right? I mean, uh, when when all Big Ten schools that have won 13 games make the tournament, um, is that the reason they get in? Or is it just a uh, correlation because those teams are actually have good resumes typically and get in, right? I mean, yeah. it's uh, – I, I don't know if you can say that's uh, the reason they got in. It, it's fair. The The question then that – the other thing that starts to work me up then is the eight versus four, eight SEC teams versus four Big Ten. And what I look at that is, okay, well, let's look at the SEC standings. And when you look at who number seven and number eight right now are, number seven is Alabama. They're 17 and 12 overall, eight and eight in conference. Now, a reminder, Nebraska's 22 and nine and 13 and five. But Alabama's sitting at number seven. And, uh, you know, you can throw all the, the metrics gibberish out there, but they have played one head-to-head versus a Big Ten team, just to, to at least give that reference. And they played uh, Minnesota November 25th, and they lost. And the Gophers currently sit 11th in the Big Ten. Now, remember, the SEC is a deep conference. The Big Ten is not. That's why we're only getting four, and that's why they're getting eight in. Well, the number seven SEC team lost to the number 11 Big Ten team. Well, let's move on to the number eight. The number eight SEC team, Missouri, who just lost to 12 and 16 Ole Miss. Uh, they're 18 11. They're 8 and 8 in conference. They played one Big Ten team and lost December 23rd versus Illinois. The Illinois currently sits number 12 in the Big, Tw- Big Ten. And if you listened to Boomer about a week ago, that was about the worst loss in the world that we could have is Illinois. Like, holy smokes. Nebraska lost to, to Illinois, the one loss we've had in 10 games. But Missouri can lose to them, can go 18 and 11, can go 8 and 8 in conference. And they're in. Mississippi State, the number three team currently in their rankings, if you look at their non-conference schedule, they don't play a single P5 
Power Six. I'll include the Big East in this. They don't play a single Power Six team the entire um, non-conference. The only Power Six teams they played all season is the SEC. Well, with the exception of Nebraska, when they played us at home in an exhibition game and lost. Now, that game doesn't count. It shouldn't. But I don't know. I guess I, I get the metrics. I get the numbers. But I also have two eyes, and I can see what's going on out there. And, Dave, you've mentioned this so many times. There is an eye test that has to get passed. And Bruce Rasmussen was at PBA yesterday to see the, see it with his eyes. Does this team, just just the eye test, Dave, does this team look like an NCAA tournament team to you? They pass the eye test. Sure, absolutely. Um, it helps uh, to pass the eye test when they haven't had a lot of tough competition the last you know month of the season. Um so uh, you know that, that's 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 the problem. Uh, you know, there's also the problem that a lot of other schools that are on the bubble that have similar resumes also pass the eye test. Um, I, I I think it's fair to say that Nebraska is good enough to get in the tournament and win. There's probably uh, uh, several teams in the SEC in that you know in that six seven eight um, uh, number of the SEC schools that probably are, are pretty similar to Nebraska. Same thing with the Pac-12. It goes down on the list. There's a lot of teams that pass the eye test, and not all of us can get in. Um, that's that's the challenge, right? Um, there's just not enough spots. So you can pass the eye test. doesn't mean you yep. get in. That's the tough um, – that still goes back to my initial thing, though. Are there eight SEC teams better – You know, or the top eight better than the top four of the Big well, Ten? You, you I mean, brought that, up Alabama. I mean, Alabama. So we talked about how, I mean, and Dave Reb, Rebson on, on BTN has said this multiple times. Almost every time Nebraska's on TV, if they just would have beat Kansas, they'd be in right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation because Kansas is a, like top six RPI. Alabama beat Auburn. Auburn is a seven RPI. Huge difference, right? They also beat Rhode Island, the eight uh, RPI team. They've beaten Tennessee, the 12 RPI team. They just, I mean, they have tons of uh, Group 1 RPI wins. Even if you go to Group 2, and, and they're getting knocked for this, because typically this would be a, a, a last year Group 1, they beat Oklahoma um, early in the year when Oklahoma seemed to be playing really well. Um, sure. You well, know, so, I've seen yeah, that they've they, got tons of wins out there yeah. that we don't have. Yeah, and, yeah. I All think there is to it. and that's one of those reasons I thought the Illinois loss was bad. I mean, we we have we don't have those wins. We just we don't have them on our resume. So we have right. to kind of take that alternate approach of stockpiling wins. So whenever there's an opportunity to get them, you have to get them. And you know, it was Illinois. It's on the road. That's that game you kind of you just wanted to keep having. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and that data point up, against that, you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that big challenge with this. Is yeah, our resume on its own probably looks good enough to get in. But, of course, you know, there's all these other teams that you have to consider, too. So it's not just – you can't just look at Nebraska in a bubble. We have to compare ourselves to everybody else and let's see how, you know, see how they look. I think that's worth, well, that's worth talking about. And I'll throw this back to Honk in just a second here. But I think it's worth talking about how the committee does this, yeah. right? I mean, and they have, they've increased their transparency greatly over the last five years or so. They've invited media in um, sometime in January or February, and they do a mock trial just using uh, the, the resumes for the, the – the year before, essentially, I think. And, uh, you know, they, they have these team sheets and they have these discussions. And it is, they, they have groups of teams they'll compare one another that are similar. And then you move one up and you move one in and you can continue to have that conversation. It's very similar to how the, the football community, I think, does it. Uh, it's a proven way to, to 
um, analyze uh, like teams. If it's how the football committee does it, Alabama's in for sure. Uh, well. <laughs> that's a good point, uh, well, Boomer. And, yeah. So, to be fair, you know, be- I mean, and that's what these team sheets actually help with is, is those, those conversations. And I think it's interesting that the biggest complaint now suddenly of these quadrants is that it's like, well, how can – Penn State be a we could have been a one a, a quadrant one for Penn State but they're a quadrant three for us. Well, uh, supposedly uh, in the previous system, they, you know it was uh, a it was a bias to to home wins because home wins should be easier to get, and road wins or neutral wins are harder to get. And and if you have those um, weighted the same, you, you're rewarding winning at home. So they've switched that, and now they are trying to um, say that you know they're going to reward winning on the road or, or neutral because that's representative of, of winning a game in the NCAA tournament. You're not going to have 15,000 Nebraska fans screaming, um, helping you out um, when it comes uh, you know the first round of the tournament. And so uh, now now the complaint is is that we shouldn't be you know favoring uh, road wins. I don't, I don't get it. I think they they tried to make. The, the the transparency of the the metrics more clear and um, rewarding teams that schedule hard and can win on the road and now we're saying that's that's bogus I don't I don't think it's bogus at all I think well, just I one way saying, to look at those teams I wasn't saying the prior things were bogus so that doesn't really matter to me that they switched well and also to be to be fair Boomer you said that we have to consider others this is the Go Big Red cast it's not the Tide cast I don't have to consider anyone. <laughs> I've seen us, <laughs> and uh, which is true. This yeah. is a this is a team. I, I mean, I'll just sadly I'll we just don't get to make the go big red bracket. So, well, I, true. I, what I said last week, I'll stand by what I said last week, and this is actually goes into our Twitter poll that we just posted tonight about thirty minutes ago, and we have like one hundred and fifty votes already. So apparently, um, I guess it's of some interest to people, and it's going to be live out there on Twitter until Friday morning. So for the next couple of days, as you're listening to the show, go out there and vote. But anyways. How many games do we need to win, basically, in New York City to get into March Madness? And the options were zero, one, two, or three. And what I said last week, and I'm going to stand by that, I think we need to win against Penn State, and we did. And I think we need to win uh, the first game. I think we need to beat Michigan. Um, I think we need to sweep Michigan. And going 2-0 and against them, and them being the fifth seed, and us being the fourth seed, and, and, and just having that additional, you know, highly ranked uh, RPI win and everything – I think that's the thing that gets us in, what I'll say, guaranteed. Um, I feel, In fact, I feel really, really good that we'll get in with that win. By all means, win the whole damn thing. Win the next three. I'm, I'm, and that is, that's something that gets lost in all this discussion. And it's hard to say this after we've just talked about this for 20 minutes. But the, the basketball team needs to worry about none of this, right? They need yep. to control what they can control. And if they are as good as, as I think they are, and, and I think that we, we all think they are, then go to, to, to NYC and win some games. You know, treat it like the NCAA tournament and show that you can go out there and win a couple games in a row. Um, and, you know, they, they've, got, they've got a good start here. They're not playing until Friday. So they're sitting out Wednesday. They're sitting out Thursday. This is a team that uh, come Friday, man, let's be ready. Let's, let's beat Michigan, who's playing hot right now too. That should be a great, exciting, fun game to watch. Yeah, I mean the opportunity is now there, right? We can we can complain about the situation right now, and we can take take offense to someone like Stuart Mandel who said that there's, you know, very low probability of Nebraska making the tournament. Right now, 
I would actually agree with them. I mean, if the season ended today and we didn't have another chance to add a, a data point to our resume, I don't think we get in. Uh, the hockey's point, our resume gets much better with one more good win, which would be uh, hopefully against Michigan on Friday. Uh, I think it gets a lot, lot better on a Saturday where we would have a chance to beat Michigan State. That, to me, is the game changer. Um, I, I think Michigan, if we beat Michigan, I think our chances are around 50%. Beat Michigan State, I think it's darn near. We're right there. I mean, that because that would be two wins right there that we just don't have right now, and that so, would change everything. Conceivably, we could beat Michigan, and to your point there, you think we still maybe wouldn't make it. Yep. If we beat Michigan, and then let's say we beat Michigan State, you're saying not only do we make it, but where do we get seeded at that point with those two wins? Yeah, that could get us right off of the the bubble entirely because that's a, I mean Michigan's a you know, Michigan State's a top ten RPI something like that give or take right, um, and a, and a practically a one seed right now, um, if not a, you know, at worst a two or a three I guess if they lose to us, so I I feel like that would would change the the narrative considerably uh, for Nebraska. Um, I think we could maybe be a, like a nine, maybe if we won that game. And like so, that. and the reason I ask that, Dave, is and I, this is partly for me, but I think we have some some listeners out there that maybe are not bracketologists by all means. And the the concept is like, how does the bubble work with where it seems like you know if you're on the bubble, let's just say you're a team that's on the bubble, and now you're going to get in, you would assume that okay, you're on the bubble. You're that would mean if you got in, you're going to be thirteen or fourteen. But I think people get confused where it's like. You can go straight from bubble, and all of a sudden you're a you're an eight or a nine seed. You know, like it, it seems like there's sure. no in between. Well, like, how are you that highly rated? There's 32 at large bids. Is that right, uh, Boomer? 32, 33, uh, something like that. That sounds right. So. And so, uh, first off, I mean, and a lot of those are very small conference uh, conferences, which would not qualify um with an at-large bid so those take up seeds 16 15 14 and 13 pretty 36 much 36 at-large bids dave i'm sorry yeah it's 36 oh, 36 36 okay right now, yeah. Boys, 32 keeps on going up 36 at-larges right okay yeah so 32 automatics so point is those all fill up the the bottom four or five seeds and so it's usually the the lowest at-large is an 11 seed or or maybe a 12 mm-hmm. um those are the play-in yeah, games that's that you, you play in dayton, dayton you know yeah on Tuesday and Wednesday, and that's where, where if we had let's say beat Michigan, but then lose to Michigan State, and we do get in, that's where we're likely at. Which that's a, another quick topic is is how do we feel about winning our first NCAA tournament game as a playing game opposed to actually like a regular you know first round game. I don't. But then it, yeah. if you beat Michigan State, then you then you your resume suddenly you're. I mean, it's hard to get off the bubble, but that probably gets you off the bob, bubble entirely. And now you're you're safely in the field. So. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, I'm going to forget the one question I had, so I'm going to go to the other one. And this is the conspiracy, the conspiracists, or whatever the word is in me. Conspiracy but, theory. Um, yeah, the conspiracy theory. Uh, Indiana and Maryland, blue blood programs in the Big Ten. If they add exactly our resume this season, uh, are they in? Either one of them would they be a, as a five, as a four seed in the in the Big Ten tournament? Would an Indiana or Maryland be dealing with the same thing that we are at twenty-two and nine, thirteen and five? Exactly. Boomer answer that first. Uh, You know, it's it's hard to say. There's always there's always a subjective element to anything when it comes to people seeding things like this. 
And I, I think as much as you know, everyone tries to be as objective as possible, I, I, there is some, I think, something subconscious to a lot of people where they would see a team like an Indiana or a Maryland and might give them a, just a slight more benefit of the doubt than they would in Nebraska, you know, if only for past success, you know, thinking, okay, these teams do have a chance to do something in a tournament where we've never shown that ability. You know, whether that's fair or not, I don't know. And I'm not sure how huge of a boost that would be. I mean, is it enough to completely jump them over another worthy team yeah maybe maybe not but if it's that might be that extra you know half a percent push that somebody needs to to put them in that might play a role sure yeah i, I don't know I mean, how I, clear it is yeah i i don't i i don't think so to be honest with you and if you had, if they had the exact same resume exact same resume um I, I think they they would be facing a, a similar situation here, you know. And there's other other blue bloods that have had this issue before. Syracuse has been left out multiple times um, because of just not having the good enough of a of an, a non-con se- uh, season or whatnot. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, Honk. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think it'd be a, they'd be in any much better shape. No. You did mention. Dave, about the the 36 teams that are 36 seeds, basically the bottom ones are are the auto bids and everything. So Andy Katz having us in his most recent Power 36, any value? Does that mean anything? Because does that put us, if you were just going off of that list alone, I don't know if Andy Katz does a does a a bracket or not, but he might be projecting us in the in the field, I guess. You know, I mean, the last Mm -hmm. time I checked on bracket matrix, um, which. Consolidates every single online bracket uh, projection. Um, we are in about, I think, six maybe or so, and six out of nine of earlier this morning. Six, no, we're six. Nine, six. Yeah, yep, six like today. Yep, six as of today. Joe Lenardi, six out of how many? Oh, uh, like eighty-three. Eighty-three brackets they compile. Yeah, we're on six yeah. of them. So six. you're saying and we got a chance. Hey, it's yeah, not zero. So. Six of us. Yeah. And then, which was one before we beat Penn State yesterday. Right. So they, it's moved up. And, um, and the, the, the school that lands as first out, essentially, I think is UCLA. Yeah. And they're around, on around 30 or so brackets. Uh, so we got to, I'd be curious to see on Friday afternoon if we could beat Michigan. Where do we, how far do we move up um, to, you're just knocking Joe Lenardi, but, uh, he's somebody that has Nebraska now in his first four out, which indicates that he is, you know, seeing enough value in, in Nebraska to be right on the cusp there. So some some of the other brackets were much further down, right? We're, we're farther down the line. So mm-hmm. someone like Lenardi is taking into consideration maybe some of the things that we're, we're talking about. Um, it's just the you know, the bracket matrix, it, it's gotten to the point where five, ten years ago, uh Lenardi and Jerry Palm, et cetera, might get, you know, like they might miss four or five and everybody would, would argue about those. And now it's getting down to sometimes these guys are getting 67 or 68 schools in. Last year, I think a lot of the, these bracketologists got all 68 schools right. The year before, it was like 67 where they like just missed SMU or something like that. Um, so even in a bad year now, they might only miss two or three. So we can mock all the bracketologists we want, but if – if they're not showing us up there, uh, it'd be a situation where the selection committee is going a complete about-face to everything they've been doing in recent history because these bracketologists have gotten so good at, at predicting on what the committee is going to actually do. And so 
Um, that it is what it is. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but um, but when you have a, I mean, hundred plus people doing bracketologist stuff, um, just raw numbers ultimately gets you a, a pretty accurate prediction of who's going to make it or who's not going to make it. So, yeah. And again, like we were talking earlier about, just we're not in a bubble. Yeah, we don't play much this week, obviously, till the tournament starts. But there are a lot of schools that are on that bubble or in that ten or eleven, twelve position. Oh, yeah, that are absolutely. This week, so you do need to keep an eye on those. <laughs> I tweeted some out earlier today about teams like Texas and Baylor and Syracuse. They have all got actually a fairly tough schedule to hoe to finish the season. They could easily yeah. lose all those games, which would be fabulous for us if we could Could you go. run through a few of those, Boomer, uh, yeah, really quick? let's see what I had. I know Texas is playing Kansas tonight, and they're getting shellacked by 15 last time I checked. Yep, And then they right. uh, finish with West Virginia. <clears throat> You know, uh, so Texas could take a fall. Yeah, they could easily lose both of those. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think who else. Syracuse plays Boston College, which would be a very helpful helpful win for us. Yep. If uh, that yep. would be Louisville's right on the edge. Yeah, right Louisville's now too, got, they've got uh, a couple tough they games play left. I think Duke and someone else left. Does that sound correct? They've got a couple of tough could games be right. left. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential for us to really take some strides here just because other teams are losing which would be very helpful now granted if those teams go out and somehow win all those games then you know those are big resume boosters for a lot of those yeah. schools yeah so, problems then you know some things are out of our hands here this week but yeah. you know there is i think baylor's another one that's right there yeah that, baylor's that, on this uh, week they play a couple of decent teams um, they have oklahoma and k-state i'm looking yeah. at that right now k-state i think is probably in so i'm not going to worry too much about them baylor plays oklahoma and k-state Louisville has Virginia and North Carolina State. My mistake, it wasn't a Duke. So, but Virginia's still yeah. playing for a top seed. NC State's looking good, and they're just trying to cement where they are. NC State's in, I don't think, with any question. You know, they're no longer a bubble team. And yeah, yeah, Syracuse has Boston College and Clemson. So there's four schools that I think most bracketologists have ahead of us that all yeah. have a pretty tough final week here. So this is a good opportunity, I think, yeah. for those schools to take some hits and. You go out in the West Coast, you got USC and UCLA playing one another yeah. uh, on Saturday. And... I, I think USC is pretty safely in, so that's one you just hope UCLA loses and just kind of inflames out in the Pac-12 tournament. And yeah, you know they yeah. haven't looked good to finish out the year, so I think that's potential. Another for thing to start yeah. start paying attention to uh, this weekend is the first. Uh, Auto bid start going out for since the Big Ten is playing when like the Missouri Valley yeah, and, we're, and all these we're, mid majors are actually playing in with the mid majors now. Thanks, Delaney. Yeah. Good job. Well, it, it seems like <laughs> it, right? With the RPI, right? Yep. Um, is that you want to want to see the the school that is the you know finishes number one in the conference to win the tournament? Because if they lose, then they suddenly are on the bubble and they could be considered an at large candidate. Right, and so you Absolutely. have a couple of those yeah. out there, like Loyola of Chicago, who um, probably is you know favored to win the Missouri Valley right now, and they have a 32 RPI. But if they would lose in Arch Madness, and suddenly now you got to have have them compared against Nebraska, right? So um, the the fewer of those we see, the better off you are as well. Yeah, you, you want as few upsets as possible in these conference tournaments. Even in the Power Fives, you don't want like an Oklahoma State or a Colorado to sneak up and win the. Yep. Win the conference somehow because I, you know, they're not going to drop a lot of those teams out. You're just going to slot another another Power Five team in there, so that's another big risk too. So, yeah, as few upsets as possible in the conference tournaments, except for Nebraska, that would definitely help. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And Dave, you asked uh, earlier uh, SEC bids in the last few years. Uh, 2017, yeah. they got five teams in. 2016, three. 2015, three. they got five. 2014, they had three. So they've been, yeah, they haven't been great in the last few years, but. 
Right. So they, they averaged four, I guess, by the quick math. So, so it's hockey right. numbers. And I mean, so, yeah. that's largely based yeah. off of a poor conference RPI. And Pretty I think much, if you yeah. go back and look at the, the Big Ten woes right now, it's uh, largely based on a really poor performance in the the Big Ten ACC. Oh show, yeah, what we largely, but a what good we win three of out of fourteen games, I think in that. Yeah, Nebraska was one was of awful. them, but you know. Yeah, still, so was, yeah. So in our ma- in our mailbag, Tony Hayek asked, "Why does it feel like in football and basketball the Big Ten doesn't get any love, and specifically in basketball, you're you're pointing this to the RPI, you're pointing it, it specifically this year to that to that NC, there to the ACC." In the past, the Big we've Ten usually training. we've gotten seven in when we even are maybe the fourth conference, right? right. And so we've gotten a decent amount of teams in um, with just a middling conference RPI. This year we're even down worse in the RPI. Yeah. And it is it is impacting. Like I just. Pulling some other numbers for the Big Ten outside of that ACC Big Ten challenge. Uh, right now, the Big Ten uh, versus teams ranked one through twenty-five were three and twelve as a conference, and then twenty-six through fifty were six and fifteen. Uh, compare that to the Jeez. SEC; they were seven and seventeen versus teams in the top twenty-five, and then they're thirteen and seven against the twenty-six through fifty. So that's but why that's a lot of that's against themselves. Well, isn't it? No, no. This is actually other conference teams. Yeah, this is okay. this is other non-conference opponents. So that's kind of why we're. The Big Ten just isn't well, getting any respect this year. They just did not. Clearly, isn't well. Mississippi State contributing to that? Teams. But I mean, you <laughs> mentioned you mentioned that a little bit too, Mike, about how or Boomer about how some of the RPI goes, and you said like twenty five percent of it is opponents of opponents who they play. Yes. So like, did, what Vanderbilt's this awful team, oh, but they yeah, have Vanderbilt's this great... got what eleven wins, but they played just this ungodly non conference schedule. Uh, I think they last time I looked, they had like the number four strength of schedule. They played, geez, they played, uh, you know, K-State and USC and uh, Virginia. They played Arizona State. They played a bunch of 20-win, like, you know, mid-major teams like uh, Belmont, who they lost to, uh, UNC Asheville, Radford. They're all in the upper, you know, teens, if not 20 wins. So just by virtue of playing all those teams, they had this humongously high strength of schedule and by default that rubs off onto everybody in the SEC because every they single get, team that plays yeah, they get yep. credit for their opponent's opponent's percentage so that's a huge benefit to everybody in the SEC and yep. frankly that's so, why I'd like to see us all bribe Rutgers to start scheduling the entire Big East and <laughs> ACC season but this, this is actually they're not going anywhere the anyway big, so let's have them do something useful for the first time Boomer, the Boomer that might be that could be an NCAA though. basketball violation and we can't have any violations in basketball <laughs> yeah, that would not. that's a very fine point you're right so we'd, we'd, we'd hate to cheat <laughs> in this sport you know? can't bribe Rutgers to do no, something that would no. be no. <laughs> If I could take this on just a on a positive note here, today is a yeah. day of congratulations for basketball for both the men's and women's teams. James Palmer, James Palmer Jr. gets a first team All Big Ten honors uh, by the coaches, Absolutely. and also Amy well Williams gets the uh, Coach of the Year honors uh, on on the women's side. So, very, also very you know, well again, yeah. very very well deserved. Congratulations to both. Yeah, that's actually you know really awesome. James Fuller Jr. comes out of nowhere, really, to be first-team All-Big Ten. I mean, he wasn't even on the radar. And honestly, that's just like Nebraska. I was looking at some of the preseason stuff this year, and, I mean, we were generally 13th in conference, right? Ohio State was 11th. So uh, it it definitely was not a good year for um, uh, the pundits. I I don't know, did you follow Tim Miles' uh, tweets today? He had uh, three really good ones. Um, Oh, I didn't see him. What did he say? Yeah, it was great. You should look him up, Hawk. You would love this. So I think he was uh, focused on uh, uh, Ken Palm uh, in particular, which are predictive rankings. And so beginning of the year, uh, I think uh, Ken Palm had Nebraska predicted to go 13-16, and 16, 
something like that. Uh, and like, I, I think Miles said six and twelve in conference, but I was looking at the win loss. I think it was more like three and fifteen. I mean, it was awful. Oh wow! Um, and then he, so that was his first tweet, and he, he <laughs> jokes about like uh, telling his wife to, to hold off on the kitchen remodel. <laughs> and then the second tweet is uh, a, a shot of the same Ken Palm uh, predictive rankings. Uh, right around New Year's, essentially, right before the the full slate of Big Ten games starts, and then it has Nebraska finishing sixteen and fifteen. So he bumps it bumps it up like three extra wins for Nebraska, but still going like six and twelve or whatever, seven and eleven. And uh, he's like a realtor, you know, <laughs> like he's going to be on the hot seat. And, and then it, then he shows the end where they go twenty two and nine, and he's like, "It's supposed to be predictive rankings. What does that mean?" Right? <laughs> so he really knocked it. Good. It was hilarious. So, so Ken Palm um, was as good as Vegas, essentially, is what you're saying yeah, this year for yeah, Nebraska. Dude, basketball. you know, uh, uh, I did I, I I did not put money down on Nebraska this year. I don't really gamble in that way, but uh, we were even against Penn State, we were still one and a half point dogs at home. If you just sort of <laughs> took Nebraska. The cover, you probably would have made tons of money this year. They are underdogs in almost every game. Do we have a certain of producer? Some of predictive things, Dave. Do we have a certain producer who who did okay? With- I, I'm not going to mention his name, but he somebody might have done all right and <laughs> might have uh, rhymes with flip, you know. But um, but all for entertainment purposes only, Dave. All so. for entertainment purposes only. That's correct. Um, yeah, no, yeah. No it's just it's shocking. Uh, how much Vegas is not like Nebraska this year and how many times have they covered the spread. And I don't know what that says, but it, 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 I guess what it does say, actually, I'll, I'll say it, is that this team has defied logic. I mean, the, all the numbers didn't indicate this at all. And it is intriguing to think about what, uh, you know, Lee Barfnick and, and others, when they saw this team practice last year, uh said, geez, I think this team could be pretty good. And we saw all those transfers happen with Dreya Horn and Jacobson and Morrow. And you wonder, those guys saw the writing on the wall too, that their playing time was going to cut, get cut down uh, because um, uh, they the, the team clearly was a lot better than anybody thought it was going to be. Um, with, Not us. Not us. Go back to our right. early shows. We were... We were bullish on this team from back in October, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I mean, we're, we're fans, though, you know, and, I mean, folks that were just, like, looking from the outside in, you know, didn't see this coming. That's my point. Yeah. I, I also said we'd go 9-3 and three in football, so <laughs> we're fans. It's You're the go big red bullish. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, guys. Well, um, I guess we'll have, hopefully, an exciting weekend of Nebraska basketball. If we actually see three games played, that would be phenomenal. And that would get us on CBS on Saturday and Sunday, and that would be a, a one heck of a weekend. Uh, anything else here on basketball you guys want to want to cover first? I'm good. No, let's just hope Iowa or Illinois doesn't somehow upset Michigan. So. Yeah, if, if we end up like beating, having to beat Illinois, uh, like Wisconsin in the second, yeah, you know, yeah. second game, and like randomly, like and be like, ah, oh, thanks guys. I mean, we we could 
Yeah, I don't even want to theorize on that. Scarlet colored glasses. And next on the Go Big Redcast, let's put on our scarlet colored glasses and talk all things Cornhuskers football. I say Cornhuskers because Scott Frost is using the Cornhuskers term again, so that's kind of nice. Uh, I see Honky already smiling about it. Uh, lots of good stuff out there on the World of Herald and Journal Star, writing up a storm on uh, this little uh, you know break between Recruiting day and spring ball. We've got a journal uh, star top 25 intriguing players countdown happening. We've also got some a, a six part series on how Nebraska football kind of uh, got to this point, uh, transitioning from uh, Ikehorst and Riley over to Moose and Frost. Uh, Hockey, uh, you enjoying all this good good coverage? Oh yeah, this is this is one of my favorite parts of the year for uh, coverage because it's it's filler, but but in this case. It's really good filler because there's some interesting stuff to talk about. The world high Her- quality filler. The the World Herald series. This is they're only <laughs> two parts into it. Is what this is, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, it, it's a six part series, like you said, Dave, with the the return of Scott Frost is the title of it for the Omar World Her- Herald. But they're two into it so far, and they've uh, so far we've gotten through basically the hiring of Moose, and it is athletic director Moose, and it is fascinating. It's a great read, definitely. Uh, go out there and get it. Uh, the Journal Star, they've been doing the 25 most intriguing players, and that's leading up to spring ball. And so, uh, so far, they've had Tyjon Lindsay, and I think today was Chris Walker. Uh, and most intriguing means a lot of things, not just who's going to be starting, but, you know, just intriguing stories. Or, you know, in the case of Walker, this is a guy that we think is going to be transitioning over to the defensive side. So um, just a lot of good stuff, a lot of good reads right now. So so keep reading the uh, the, the paper there. Um, there's been some other things that have come out in some of the interviews in the last week, too. Frost did some interviews with Chattel, with Sipple, and just I'm going to kind of go through a couple bullet points of some different headlines, and then you guys can speak up anytime you want here. But Absolutely. one of the things that he was talking about, Frost uh, mentioned with Tyjon Lindsay that he'll be back nearly full go, uh, or that he is almost back nearly full go right now, which is great after the, the uh, incident where he had to go to the hospital about a month ago. He also hopes Trey Bryant will be ready for spring ball. So that's really intriguing. That's the first thing that we've heard about Trey Bryant uh, this offseason where, you know, at one point we didn't know if he was even going to be playing again. So uh, that's that's definitely a good a good sign there. Uh, one other line I really liked, and Coach Held uh, and Coach Austin and maybe one or two of the other assistants, they were at a coach's clinic, kind of a small coach's clinic like a week ago, and I, I tweeted this out, and I'm saying this. Remember this line. Uh, Coach Held said, the reason we went from the worst offense in the country before we got to UCF to the best co- offense in the country is because we learned how to block on the perimeter. Wide receiver blocking. Is this Does this ring a bell, Dave, Boomer? Do, do it you does remember? sound familiar. Yeah. It sounds like it's something enough. that might have been preached in the uh, Tom Osborne era. So, yeah, makes sense. The, the concept that blocking on the – not just what's going on inside the trenches, that's got to get better, but what's going on on the outside, that's the difference between those five-yard plays becoming 10 and 15 and 20, right? Yep, and, absolutely. And Held did also make a statement that it doesn't hurt to have a running back that has 10-4 speed, which is, I think, what UCF had last year. So, by all means, you know, Jimmys and Joes, Xs and Os, yes, we want speed, we want great athletes, but, yeah, I just the, the idea that we're going to – be blocking on the perimeter, and that's going to be a priority. I, I really, uh, really appreciated that. Um, one of the, the themes that came out of these these interviews with Frost is really that 
he is envisioning right now Husker football being a modern version of what the Husker powerhouse teams of old were. It's a modern version, a modern play on what Nebraska was 20 years ago. And I guess I'm kind of interested in what your guys' thoughts on that are. I don't think it's it's mind-boggling that he's saying that, but it, but to actually, you know, it, we've talked about sure. this for a while. It's like this we love actually, what we used to do, but like, how do you modernize it? It seems like that's exactly what he's trying to do here. Yeah, look, look, uh, I could go on about this for a little little bit. I read that article, I think, on Saturday or Sunday morning, and sometimes you just scratch your head and think, how long did it take us to get? get to this point where we finally have someone in charge that actually um sees the world um the way we see it right and uh it, it's it's pretty interesting to hear some of his quotes because i i think if I'll, if we were in that same position we'd be saying some of the same things which is pretty amazing right it feels good when the guy in charge actually uh shares the, the same perspective that you do uh, I, I was wondering like it's amazing that i mean it, it it's not surprising, I guess, that it took 20 years for Scott Frost um, since 1997 to 2017 to, to become the head coach at Nebraska. But in all these other iterations after Osborne, we never found anybody, even Solich uh, or Turner Gill or anybody else, who was able to articulate some of the important like values that we attach to this program and what it means to the state, as well as Scott Frost has said in just a few select interviews in his first few months on the job. Uh, I think it's just amazing. Boomer? No, he's definitely saying the right things. I mean, he's saying, you know, I wouldn't want to hearken back to the being the teams in the 90s that we were. I mean, absolutely, that's just a gimme. Now, let's... But it's not just nostalgia, though. No, it is. He actually it tries to reference, like, it, it right. is, like, how to project that forward. He does. Now, now let's just make it happen i guess that's the important part you know hockey talked about this all the time in the last couple coaching staffs that they said all the right things about you know schemes and running and all this stuff and just never did them and now i have a little more faith that frost will actually try to do you know these sorts of things that he talks about so let's just make it happen and win games you know heck we could be yeah and it's it's not even the team in the 19 teens again if we want to go back to ewell jumbo steam style (laughs) as long as they're winning games i think people will be fine with it ultimately so yeah i hear you Honky, uh, uh, well, yeah, well, winning is important. Yes, Boomer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking I know, not, of winning, not podcast, but that's what it comes down yeah. to. I mean, yeah, that's what it well, is. Well, and, and spe- speaking of winning, one of the uh, the quotes that Frost had was on how quickly this can turn around. He was referencing UCF, and what I thought was kind of fascinating was you know how even he was shocked at what happened at UCF. Uh, his quote was. Uh, it's never been done before, and I don't think it will ever be done again, even by us. It surprised everybody, including me. I knew we were a better team. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I knew we were a better team in 2017. I thought we'd win eight or nine and compete for the conference title. But a lot of things came together, and it took off way faster than I thought. What people need to realize about Nebraska is it used to be built, is the way that it used to be built, it's not a quick fix way. And so this isn't a quick fix, and yet. I don't think that this has to be necessarily a five-year build-out either, right? We want to get the strength and conditioning in, in order, and that's what they're starting to do. In fact, another quote that he had is that he's considering uh, posting performance index stats again. And I wish Mac was on this show to, to talk about that because that's something Mac and I used to go nuts over right about this time of the year was, who's the guy that ran the 4-3? You know, Jay Sims and, you know, Clinton Childs did this. And, and there was always certain guys that were great performance index dudes 
And then all of a sudden those stats just kind of went, went away. They don't get talked about. And he's talking about probably next year starting to release those stats again. Strength and conditioning. We're going to be the best strength and conditioning program in the country. That's that's the goal there. And that will take a little bit of time. But but that's the thing that's going to help get this thing built faster than than if we were you know taking longer to do it, I guess. Sure. Uh, to, uh, to go back to, like, the idea that, it, it, you know, Scott Frost is the right man for the job at this moment, it, 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 try to keep this quick. I know this this could be a very long segment, but try to keep it quick. Osmond retires in 97. Was Solich the, the only – was he the right hire? W- would you have taken some other person in the Husker lineage – over Solich in, in, in to coach in ninety eight. The only other person that could have conceivably been palatable, I think, to the to the fan base would have been maybe a Barry Alvarez. And I've heard that potentially there was that there was you know rumors that that could have maybe worked out with with Bill Byrne and getting him here. And the whole point is, whoever they would have brought in here had to keep that staff together. There's no way right. that Osborne can leave. And you're going to go and bring in. I've heard Bob Stoops. Oh, so someone's going to bring, Bob Stoops would have come in here. Oh yeah, and did what? He's going to let go of a yeah. staff that just went sixty and three. If he went nine and four in his first year, like Solich did, he'd have been run out of town. You know, you could you sure. couldn't do that yep. at that time. So it needed to be somebody that could have carried enough clout, but also would have, I think, kept intact ninety percent of the things that were going on right. at the time, and so, had some Husker ties of some sort. Exactly. So maybe an Alvarez could have been that kind of guy. Money Kiffin, Kiffin. Yeah, I mean, you could. We could probably throw out a couple of names. But to your right. point, Dave, the best guy that was on the staff to do it didn't want it because that was McBride, and McBride basically, I think, was wanting to retire with Osborne. I think Osborne kind of said, "Hey, stick around a couple more years and and help the transition out." Um, but McBride yeah. wasn't going to do it, and then, and and Solich had been getting all kinds of uh, you know offers from right. from some other schools. So, uh, to keep it short, I, I would say, I would okay, say, so he probably so did the regardless best he could of there. of what what actually happened, the job comes open again in uh, in two thousand three two thousand four. Who would have been the right person to hire at that point? In two thousand in two thousand three when Pulling got the job, yeah. Or gonna, uh, Callahan, excuse me. I'm going to say Pelini. I mean, it's the guy that that won the Michigan State bowl game. The crowd was ch- chanting Bo. He was. So that was the right hire. I, I don't think Bo was any more prepared there, three years. There was later, no one else better. Four years later. Let's put it that way. I shouldn't say it's the right. There's no one else better. Uh, I, I I I'm not prepared enough. Houston I guess Nutt with the, all the names or anything like that. You know, yeah. What's that, Boomer? Houston Nut didn't do anything for you. Is that? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> How about this? How about this? So, but guess my point is, yeah. is there wasn't a very good Nebraska hire per se. The best hire you could have gotten was someone who had one year of Nebraska yeah. experience, right? Yeah, and I who had and basically agreed. no head right. coaching experience. Right? The yeah, the difference, so. Dave, between '97 and '04 was we were in position to in '04 if you needed to kind of clean house, you could right. do so that. We didn't, we didn't take Polini. We hired Callahan. Yeah. We get Polini at. A few years later, after he was the OC and LSU D coordinators, are you saying Pelini was the the best hire? I keep, should keep it in that that terms. The best hire of the man available at that time for Nebraska in, in 08. Now, now you're yeah. talking about in 08. Yeah, uh, for the guys that ran for it, which were Gill and and Pelini, and then I think Jim Grobe at at Wake Forest, who wanted 
this is a novel idea. He wanted to bring his entire staff, and that wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you um, know, well, I, I, I think Paul there, Johnson was even. Patterson even. wanting the job. Didn't he interview for that job? That was a well? rumor, supposedly. Now. Patterson I think said, that he, said been, he actually interviewed. In retrospect, that was, should have been the hire we made. I mean, it's easy to say that. No now. Nebraska ties. There weren't but any. To I mean, point. it's easy to say in retrospect too, because you can look back at their whole career now. But granted, he, he was expressed, a coach ahead of time. But. Expressed his interest. Well, I I yeah, know the point is there, there wasn't any clear Nebraska guy. No, again, uh, yeah, you were back at that. I, I guess I'm willing to. It only took twenty. Go. It only took twenty years, but I'm willing to be patient. That this is what it took to get Frost here was everything that happened since 1997 <laughs> or 98. So, and in 20, 2014, 2015, <laughs> when Riley gets hired, that was not the right choice. <laughs> no. <Nope, nope, nope. laughs> <laughs> but what, do you feel like Frost uh, would have been the, the right hire at that point? Or, did, again, to the point of needing a couple more years of seasoning and the chance that UCF from a recruiting standpoint. I think we saw what happens when you hire a coach with no head coach experience. I, I think – That was my well, knock against Bo when we hired him. We, well, I, you don't, I, you don't want to – this isn't a training job for a new head coach. I mean, I, Boomer, I would say that UCF hired a head coach with no head coaching experience. Yeah, but you can, you can my, get away with that at a, at a mid-major – May, you have maybe. the opportunity. I mean, you can do that there. You can't. I can do give that you here. two. I can give you too many examples. Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. I can give you plenty of, of, of big time places that coaches that haven't had. Dabo Sweeney wasn't a head coach anywhere before before Clemson. But my my point is, it didn't matter. It didn't matter in 2014 as long as we had the leadership that we had in place. It didn't really matter who you hired, and that's something that the o- o- Omaha World Herald articles are talking about. One of the first things that Bill Moose talked about when he first started talking to Frost was everything that was all the leadership, everything that was there three years ago, it's different now. It's changed. And that was the first thing. And we, t- and we've talked about yeah. that so many times. Yeah. I'm not going to get into that again, but the point is it wasn't about necessarily who the head coach was going to be in 2014. Do I think Frost would have been successful? I think Frost is going to be successful and would have been wherever he was going to go. But I think Nebraska in 2014 was such a different place to be at than now, and it's because of the the changes from from uh, you know President Bounds on down. Now I just sure no, I, I think that's my my point is I mean uh, it's been a frustrating wait, but um, let, let's hope that everything keeps on going yeah. in the right direction. I I do uh, want to because it, boy, it sure sounds good to to finish football. I, I will say yeah. this. Um, uh, maybe it's just because we share the same name. I, I I'm kind of the Matt Davison of the Redcast. I think because. Uh, one of the last quotes that Frost had was, he goes, I'm comfortable with Matt saying what he feels, but Surgeon General's warning, it doesn't always reflect a feeling of Coach Frost and the coaching staff. And I've always kind of felt, you know, maybe I'm the Matt Davison. Is he referring to you or Davidson in that quote is the question? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the Davison. Dave, you're kind of the Coach Frost of the of the Red Cast. So I always kind of think like I say something and then I can picture your face going, oh, gosh, he, does, he doesn't speak for – anyone here <laughs> but uh but I, i'm sure glad yes. we got davison i probably Frost, felt that last that. night with you and Stuart mandel straight back and forth but da- that's okay hey, we didn't get blocked by Stuart, so that's a plus i'm, I'm right. tweeting back and forth with with Stuart, and he's and mandel's re- responding to us last night and dave texts me and he goes cool it <laughs> that was an emotional tweet honky i i deleted it it wasn't even a bad tweet i just deleted it because i just it was just me. I was being snarky in a response to Stuart Mandel, and then I'm like, "Why am I?" That's doing my game. Just, you know, yeah. yeah, that's Boomer's yes. the snarky yes. guy. So, uh, 
All right, all right, good stuff. So, uh, football wise, so the, the the journal started has a countdown. Does that mean spring ball is twenty some days away? Is yeah, right? pretty much. It should be starting here in mid. They want to get one practice in, just actually just one. They want to kind of get the, they want to initiate the guys into it, and then they're going to stop for spring break, and then they'll come back and they'll have the full gamut of the rest of the practices. Uh, spring game is what the twenty first. Coaches clinic is the thirteenth to the fourteenth. The week before that. And so, you know, we're hoping to see some practices, scrimmages, all that good stuff. And Sure. And so for Redcast purposes, we need the Husker basketball team to, to play a few more weeks. So let's uh, have a great great weekend there in uh, New York City. Uh, how about baseball really quick, though, guys? Let's do a little Around the Van Horn really quick. Around the Van Horn. Uh, well... Uh, Oregon State is the number two team in the country, and they yeah, they're they're definitely why. better than we are. We are certainly not on that level at any stretch. Yeah, we that, did not get an RPI no. building resume building win over the yeah. Weekend, we went we two and two, Utah. like I'd said, was probably the minimum we needed to do this weekend. I would have really wished we would have gotten one of those against Oregon State, but we were not close to that. So you know, I, I don't think any of us expected to be at their level, but you just kind of hope we might have snuck in and got one. They did beat yeah. Utah, so which is good. You shouldn't be losing games to teams you shouldn't be losing to. So there's that. no bad losses. No, there weren't no, a bad just loss. No just wins. we couldn't get the win. And the other big takeaway I had from this weekend was Ohio State is scoring runs and getting a lot of them. Oh, really? Yeah, they I've put up uh, ten the first, or excuse me, eight the first time they played Oregon State, and they were actually ahead in that game until the sixth inning. They Oregon State had to put up six runs, I think, in that inning to to take a lead on it. And then they put up seven in one game against Utah, and I think they scored 20 the second time they played Utah. Wow. So, we, you know, so Nebraska probably Ohio needs State. to get the – yeah, they might need to get the bats figured out a little sooner than later with – with. I mean, Ohio yeah. State's been scoring a lot of runs. There's, do we no play question. Do we play Ohio State during the yeah, season? Yeah, I, I believe we play them, and I think we get them at home, I think. I'd have to pull up our schedule. But, yeah, we, we play most of the halfway decent teams this year. I'll, I'll take a quick look at that. But, yeah, even in their earlier games, they uh, – They've been scoring a lot of runs, so that's something we'll probably need to get figured out sooner than later. How can we manufacture runs or get them? And then uh, hockey, I believe uh, you'd mentioned it uh, before the show that we had another pitching injury. Yeah, well, McSteen, and, and yeah, then that, that's, that's added to Palkert and, and Lindsman being out. So yeah, that's not I good. Mean, yeah, I mean, that was our problem last year. We just ended up with such a thin pitching roster. It just did hurt, you know, when it in a lot of games where we could have mm-hmm. had a chance. So that's. That's not good either. So well, well, we got Wichita you know. State coming up here. So see what we yeah, can do. Yeah, and yes. you, you guys hit on it. I mean, it 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 hurts that we didn't get the RPI win against Oregon State at the same time. Holy smokes, those guys are good. I, I think I tweeted out something on Saturday that we that game started it was a late start due to the Royals Dodgers spring game being played before it, and I'm like, thank God we didn't have to, or thank God we. Or I wish we could have played the Royals or the Dodgers. I mean, my God, I think that would have <laughs> yeah. been the easiest game that that day. The the Oregon State looks like they're they're just starting from they're starting fast. I mean, this is, they look like a number two team, and so oh yeah, is yeah. as frustrating as getting destroyed ten to three and nine to one was in those two games. At the same time, it's like we are five and three. This is one of the best starts yeah. under under Urstead. Uh, so it's trying to keep the positive there and keep the keep that that positivity going there but that man that was a, those that's a rough team to play yeah they were they were a buzz so we weren't getting anything there i think what you look for now let's you know wichita state let's win as many as you can against them they're undefeated i think so far i you know, haven't done I know deep in the schedule 
Yeah, Honky loves RPI. Yeah. Wichita State six and zero, fifty four RPI. Yeah, that's that's so the that way would... you uh, try to get those non conference resume builders. And I think we have Oral Roberts later in the year too. So there's a couple chances still to get a little something out of your out of your uh, non conference schedule. And then it's just going to be let's stockpile as many wins as we can in conference. And we do get Ohio. We play Ohio State in Columbus uh, end of March, early April. So we will see them. It's also interesting. Uh, Northern Colorado is always on the schedule and is usually a real dog on our RPI, but they're actually very early at 155 because they actually have won a couple of games. So I'm intrigued to see see where that goes. And if they could actually not be as bad as they usually are, that would be that would help helpful. Yes. Is RPI certain. reflective of when you play them, or is it just at the end of the season? At the end of the season. Okay. So they, it's hard for Northern Colorado to keep that up, but point is i mean uh, it's same thing with Wichita state but uh at some point Wichita state's got to turn this thing around they they invest too much in that program to continue to to struggle so we'll we'll see wins make a difference uh, ultimately yep. so you know just win again just like basketball yep. you're going to have a stockpile of wins and just win so yep yep Nebraska's at 109 right now in the RPI, right right behind uh, the University of Nebraska at Omaha, which is at 108. And I believe they just got swept by uh, Wichita State, did they not? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, RPI well, this early in the season is a little bit. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean hey, much right now. Hey, yeah. if we can no. beat Omaha and Oral Roberts, we'll win the Summit, and that's that's what's important <laughs> right now. Yeah, maybe we should play in two two leagues. You know? <laughs> hey, it's been done before. I was right, in the Big Ten right, in the Missouri right. Valley way back in the day simultaneously, so it can be done. Uh, all right, good stuff. All right, so let's talk, Wichita State it should be good. We got a uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hopefully, the weather is decent in Wichita. I have no idea what it is uh, in early March, but they're, they're going to find out. Uh, all right. Anything else, guys? Uh, before we go to uh, some parting shots. Nope. Parting shot number one by Honky. Take it away, bud. Dave, I thought that uh, you texted a really interesting question, and I, it's something we can go into to a little more depth in a future show on, but you asked, uh, are, are we bigger Husker fans now because of this show, because of doing the ah. podcast? Mm-hmm. And I, I found that really fascinating because I don't know that I'm a bigger fan, but I am definitely a more educated fan. I'm talking RPI and... I'm talking how many <laughs> that doesn't take much. <laughs> three hundred and six teams that have won thirteen blah 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 games and all that crap. I mean that's stuff that never came out of my mouth before. And so this show it's been really fun to do because it's it's gotten me more involved with baseball and basketball and those other sports uh, that that you know apparently we have more than just football and I, I've learned that here over the last year. So it's been a lot of fun and I guess I guess in the grand scheme of things, yes, I'm a bigger Husker football fan or Husker fan now. Because, of the, because of the Red Cast. A bigger Cornhusker fan because of the Red Cast. All right, good one. All right, Boomer? Well, I just uh, look forward to uh, this week's uh, Go Big Red Cast uh, listener numbers to actually outdraw the Big Ten tournament in Madison Square Garden. So thanks again, Delaney. <laughs> Maybe we should be broadcasting live from there to drum up some support. They'd probably happily you know? um, have the ticket purchases, I would imagine. You know. 
Yes, yes, it couldn't hurt, that's for certain. Uh, all right, guys, uh, good chatter. We'll be back uh, next week, and we'll hopefully have a breakdown of the Nebraska basketball performance in that Big Ten tourney and uh, give our final predict, uh, predictions on our tourney odds. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Beat the number five seed.